The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's good, Podcastville? Thank you for 15 incredible seasons. Big shout out to Sound Reaper Graphics and Blue Canary Auto for five years of consistent support of the Bystander Podcast. I am your host, Tiny Tim, coming to you from beautiful Bainbridge Island, Washington, at some generic time in your day. I'm glad you're here. Please be a friend and tell a friend you heard it on The Bystander and follow us on social media. Now let's get the party started with some intro music from the incredible Leroy Bell. good podcastville you found the bystander podcast today my guest is an associate principal urban designer at zgf architects and also works on our local city of bainbridge island planning commission ben dines how are you sir good how are you real good good to see you again um well what's it like being a relatively new guy on the island and jumping in with the volunteerism and uh, let me start right there why is planning commission a, a volunteer position and city council a paid position? Because it seems like you guys do all the work and then they just say yes or no. Uh, I don't know the answer to that, but um, yeah, it's definitely a volunteer position and it's been a great way to get kind of reconnected with um, with the island and the community here. Uh, I grew up on Bainbridge. Uh, we, my family moved here when I was about four. So um, yeah, I grew up and, and uh you know, went off for college and was in Oregon for about 20 years and just moved back recently with my family. So uh, it's been a great way to sort of reconnect and get to understand what's what's going on on the island. So what is going on on the island right now? seems like there's quite a few projects up in the air. Yeah, there's a lot of things going on. Um, I think one of the exciting things that the Planning Commission is going through right now is the Housing Action Plan, uh, which um, will hopefully provide uh, kind of a roadmap for ways that we can uh, provide more affordable housing, more access to housing, more secure housing uh, on the island uh, through moves that the city can make. Will you be adding um, duplexes and quads and stuff to that plan? Well, I, I don't. Yeah, I asked that question at the um, last planning commission um, uh, when they were presenting the housing housing action plan early earlier in May. 
whether they were going to be including some acknowledgement of House Bill uh, 1110, which is, I think, maybe what you're referring to with the um, duplexes and, and fourplexes. Um, you know, the the housing action plan is basically, like I said, it's a roadmap. It's not the actual um, law or code that gets put into place. Uh, set so, in stone. Yeah, yeah, so hopefully it'll acknowledge that that's maybe one change that's, that's coming um, for the state. When... We try to get more low-income housing and affordable housing, whatever term you want to use it. What are some of the ethical dilemmas? Well, I think uh, one of the dilemmas on the island, uh, at least, is often, um, or at least the way it's characterized, I don't know this is, it's entirely this um, much of a sort of dichotomy, but... um, the trade-off between conservation and, and protecting natural areas versus uh, creating the housing that that people obviously need, and that the community, um, you know, the community is really changing in a way that it doesn't need to. I think uh, because there isn't enough affordable housing on the island, and um, people who work here, you know, uh, whether it's in stores or teachers or police officers, um, most of them can't afford to live here anymore, and that's you know that's a big change. Obviously. All the development and, and, you know, the buildings that go up, that's a change too. And, and so I think the city is just trying to figure out how to balance all that. Yeah, you probably have to balance all the environmental issues as well as the ethical ones. Yeah, well, and I guess that's what I mean. I think environmental issues are an ethical issue for us. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and what kind of um, progress are we, are we making in that direction, you think? Do you think we're going to have a, a good action plan? I think the action plan is great. Uh, it is very detailed, um, which uh, the previous uh, work that was done by Eco Northwest, who's the, the consultant that did, did the work, or led, at least led the work uh, for the housing action plan. Um, I, I know that they've done some work like this in the past, and, and it hasn't been maybe as um, as implemented as, as people might have hoped, but I think one of the benefits of the uh, housing action plan is that um, – it specifies not only sort of the actions that the city can take, uh, you know, to incentivize affordable housing or secure, secure housing, um, but also how to implement that in code or other um, methods that the city can take. So how do, how do codes and um, yeah, like zoning codes and such, how are they formed? Like what, what determines what we can do here versus what we can do there? I mean, when I initially met you and we had a conversation over lunch, we were talking about affordable housing and the Bethany Lutheran project and how I felt it was a little bit of spot zoning because right across the street, you could do what they were permitting to do on the other side of the street. And uh, you made some good points there and kind of turned me around, but I didn't know that zoning was so flexible like that. Well, uh, Zoning is is just a, a a code or a law like anything else, and so you know, I mean, and especially when you think about it on Bainbridge, um, the zoning isn't that old. I, I mean, I don't know the exact history of it, but my assumption would be that the first zoning uh, specific to the city was drawn in the '90s when when Bainbridge became a city. Um, and so, just like anything else, I think it's important to um, evolve. Uh, the law and the codes as we begin to learn more. You know, it's a, a sort of an iterative process, um, the process of planning and urban design. Um, 
And I think it's important to acknowledge that we haven't done always done things perfectly in the past and we can sort of learn and, and make things better. And also just the reality that we're responding to a new context, right? The, the demand for housing is different now than it was um, in the 90s. And uh, the city that we're connected to, Seattle, the, the metropolitan area that we're connected to, is city is, is different than it was in the 90s. So um, I don't think it should be changed uh, without um, careful consideration and input from the community and all that. But uh, yeah, I think it's important that that zoning um, and the code around it does continue to evolve. How do community members affect the zoning and have input into these discussions? Well, one way is to attend the planning commission meetings. Every single meeting uh, after we um, read the, the land acknowledgement and um, and approve the, the minutes from the previous meeting, the next step is always to hear from the community. Um, there's not always people there. It kind of depends on what's on the agenda. Last night uh, we had a planning commission and there was no one in the room and no one on Zoom from the, from the general public. Um, but that's one way to get involved. Uh, I think uh, there's going to be a, or there has already started a pretty robust um, community engagement process for the Winslow sub area plan uh, where people can get involved with that. So that's another way. Explain pe- to people that don't know what that sub plan is and what it means. Uh, so the comprehensive, I'll start with the comprehensive plan uh, for the city is sort of a aspirational document of, of what we want um what we want the city to be, it's not, it is not in and of itself code, but it sort of informs uh, the decisions that we make about code. It's sort of a, like I said, it's an aspirational sort of goal setting document. Um, and within that, there are different uh, plans for the um, neighborhood centers. And I can't remember if they're all referred to as, as sub area plans. I believe Linwood is a sub area plan. And then um, Rolling uh, Bay and Fletcher Bay. I don't know if those they're neighborhood centers and they have their own sort of piece in the comprehensive plan. I can't remember if those are specifically called sub area plans. It's a slightly different, more specific process, but um, Winslow in any case is the, is the major one. Um, Obviously it's where most of the density um, is right now. And I think it's where the most opportunity is for, um, for density and, and growth in the future. And obviously it's where a lot of our, the vibrance of our community is um, not that, that you know what's going on at the other neighborhood centers isn't isn't important too, um, but just that I think that's where a lot of the opportunity is for, uh, you know, more affordable housing, uh, more um, more growth in general, more growth, but also more robust uh, connections between the growth, you know, uh, transportation um, connections, things like that, active transportation specifically. Mm-hmm. So, um, when you look at downtown. As an architect, and you have an area like that, a, a landscape. What are some of the things that are you put into your consideration when drawing up some type of plan that says, "Okay, this is what the scape would look like over time"? What's like the first thing that gets your pencil on the draft board? Uh, well, I suppose a lot of times it depends on what the project is and, you know, what, what its intent is. Um, you know, sometimes we're doing a project where it's really about, um, transportation. Uh, sometimes it's, you know, if we're really thinking about affordable housing, something like that, uh, with, with the Winslow sub area plan, right. It's supposed to cover, um, all of the aspects of, of a city and, and, you know, from transportation to utilities, um, uh, to, uh, you know, housing, all those things. So, you know, I think it, it usually depends on what the, um, 
what the goal of the project is. How does um, an architect affect a plan or is it the community that affects the plan to start with? Well, to start with, I guess I think it's important usually for um, the architect or whoever, you know, the technical team is on the project to start to define uh, the constraints of the project. So, mm. you know, what are – Find the issues first. Well, find the um, the sort of issues that are related to, you know, physical constraints or uh, um, financial constraints, things like that that are going to sort of narrow the decisions that could be made for the project. In parallel with that, when you start a project, it's really important to also start with the sort of vision and values. And that should come from the community or at least the stakeholders that are, um, you know, that are uh, – Asking to be affected by the project, yeah, or, or asking for it. So I think those two things are usually the way that we try and set the table by defining the constraints and by um, setting uh, goals and, and vision and values for the project. What would you like to see downtown the most? Uh, I would like to see, uh, honestly, more density, um, especially around the ferry, ferry area. Um, one of the things that I, I work on a lot um, – in my uh, ZGF and my day job is um, what's called transit oriented development, which is essentially the idea that um, uh, development can um, sort of amplify the potential for transit and transit can amplify the, the potential for development when they're sort of situated um, nearby and in a sort of well thought out way. Um, the ferry is essentially our, um, high capacity transit on the island. It, mm -hmm. it, it's a you know Winslow is is a high capacity transit for the Seattle area, not just for the not just for the island, of course, but for the um, you know West Sound area. Um, so anyway, I'd like to see you know more density down there. Right now, there's a, a height limit of, of 45 feet, which really limits um, you know how much growth can happen in Winslow, which ultimately sort of promotes more growth outside of Winslow um, in the conservation areas um oh, just like a zoning areas. law can't you change the, the heat absolutely yeah, that's part that's yeah exactly that's part of zoning law um i mean yeah depending on how it's defined but let me um, just throw up a wall and block everybody's view behind you <laughs> well that's i that's certainly uh part of the considerations is um the views of the people but um you know i think you can always well not always but you can often say that right you're when you're building something it's going to affect um it's going to affect your context, the context of that project in some way, and that's important to, to understand. But I also think, um, you know, four-story buildings are not going to get us to where we want to get um, in terms of the goals that we've set with the comprehensive plan. Uh, there's been a lot of ideas batted around for the old police station and the parking lot adjacent to that. What do you see going in there? It seems like a, such a, a valuable space. It's almost scary to even think about putting something there that may not fit in or doesn't maximize the space or we waste our money some fashion. Um, we still need parking. Um, I don't know what ideally goes there. Uh, not so much a concert hall. I know that <laughs> that idea was a little, a little bright. Yeah. I, um, yeah, the the uh, Cavatina project. Yeah, I, I don't think that's uh, appropriate at all for the character of the island. But I did appreciate the way that they thought about the layout of the site. Um, I think uh, Coates uh, uh, worked on that project. Um, gonna beep that I, name. What's that? <laughs> I'm gonna have to beep that name out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, the the idea that there's sort of um, 
higher density housing around the perimeter of that site and that there's some sort of I don't I think not a concert hall but some sort of public um, publicly ac- accessible space um, to provide sort of a gateway as people come onto the island could be really a really useful way of, of um, using that site so I think housing hopefully you know kind of mixed use kind of development where the ground floor is retail um, surrounding some some publicly expect- accessible space would be um, would be really exciting in that area. I understand the concern about parking too, and sort of how much the the diamond lot gets um, absorbed changed. in the project. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an important consideration. But maybe more importantly is to think about ways that we can avoid needing all that parking. Um, right, more robust yeah. active transportation network, um, things like that. Are you for a rideshare program on the on the island, um, such as the electric scooters or bikes, like Seattle has, or is that something that if we tip dip our toe into that, we have hot water of scooters lying all over our beautiful island. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's appropriate for the um, kind of urban fabric we have downtown right now. Um, unfortunately, we have really narrow sidewalks uh, in mm-hmm. Winslow. I mean, at least along Winslow Way. Um, I think especially during a tourist season, you know, it's kind of hard to even walk down the sidewalk. So I can't imagine what that would be with, with scooters around. I do think it's appropriate to have some sort of um, electric bike share or something like that. But I, I think it's, it's um, would be better if that was a, a dock type system, you know, where it has to be returned to a specific rack or a specific location mm. and not just sort of left out around uh, the sidewalks like it is in the bigger cities. So, What do you think about electric charging stations down in that area as well. Do you think we'll need to implant, input a few of those? You mean for uh, uh, cars? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's um, actually uh, the city's – the planning commission reviewed, a, um, I don't know, an effort by the city uh, to um, incorporate more incentives for uh, building charging stations into new, new development and, um, uh, you know, uh, redevelopment, so – Mm-hmm. Hopefully that'll bring some of it. I guess the last argument we had about that was not you and I, but last guest was that those charging stations are a hundred thousand dollars to install and that we operate not on the cleanest grid. You know, we, we still use fossil fuels from PSE. So how could we work around that to somehow capture electricity, whether it be a solar charging station or whatnot? There's a lot of different ideas out there. But it isn't cheap. You know, you, you put in 10 of those around the island, spend a million dollars, you know. Well, and the way the program is set up, uh, this, this e-vehicle charging um, uh, program is, is that it requires a certain number of um, basically fully ready-to-be-plugged-in kind of chargers. And those are the, you know, that, that costs the most money, obviously, is the charger itself. There's running the cable and the conduit, and then there's um, sort of, you know, have have to have the power and the the sort of panel of the service that you need to to support that. So the way the program is set up is some of the um, there's a certain number. Let's say it's five percent or something of the spaces. Maybe I, I, don't quote me on the exact um, numbers here, but the, I know it's online. Five percent of the spaces, let's say, need to be fully um, chargeable ready. Uh, maybe another twenty percent need to have conduit running to them because that's actually 
relatively inexpensive to build when you're initially building a project, but can be really expensive to retrofit, right? To mm-hmm. dig up, you know, whatever it is, asphalt or walls and trying to um, put in new, new conduit. So running the power to the parking space, you know, a certain number of need to be for that. And then I think a certain number um, also need to be accounted for in the like electrical infrastructure itself. So I, I may have those buckets not exactly defined, but the idea is that there's sort of different uh, levels of um, readiness uh, uh, built in so that, you, so that you're not asking people to spend all the money all at once. When you, do you have seven people on the um, yep. planning commission? Yep. Yeah. Now, how do you guys resolve disagreements when you're working together? Uh, well, we usually, um, you know, when the issue comes up and it's a, it's a topic that everybody wants to talk about, we try and go kind of around the table. That's what we did for the housing action plan. Um, we went through, um, Ashley had sort of go through each person. Um, uh, I should say, uh, chair Matthews, um, had us go through each person, um, to, uh, <laughs> chair Matthews. to, uh, well, good, Ashley. <laughs> um, provide their, their comment. Right. And then, um, we heard each other and then we had another round, right? Then after we'd heard each other, we went through another round of, of, of talking about it. Um, since I've been on the commission, there haven't been a lot of really contentious topics that people, um, you know, that, that the commissioners where we had a, a real split vote, right? Like a four, three vote vote. Um, I think one exception to that, that I recused myself um, from was the Bethany project that was being worked on right as I was starting the planning commission. And, um, uh, my parents go to Bethany, and I, I actually grew up going to Bethany, so um, I recused myself from that that vote. But I know that was that I, that was part of the reason it ended up in a, a three three vote. Um, actually, is because um, I was the odd man out. So yeah, it was it was a tough topic. You know, I got a lot of crap for it, um, but you know that that's what I want to promote the most is just discussions. Sure. Whether you have an idea that says X Y Z, and I say A B C. Let's come together and at least talk about it. And I respect you for meeting with me prior to have a conversation like that, even though you were reclused yourself. Noel, yeah, recused. Recused. Gosh, my master (laughs) of the English language is lacking. (laughs) I wouldn't have known the word unless I had to do it, so. Got uh, you. Yeah. Um, It looks like there's a lot of plans on on the docket right now. What... What plans really impressed you that you're excited about right out of the gate? Uh, well, I'm excited about the Winslow sub area plan, um, and it's it's a sort of subset of the of the comprehensive plan. Um, it, oh, we, you want to go there? You said the c word, comprehensive plan. Yeah, well, explain I explain it to everyone. Uh, well, <laughs> I, you know, I'm I, I'm still learning a lot about it. Honestly, like I said at the beginning, it's it's an aspirational document. It's not a um, in a, of itself a sort of code document, but it's um, Essentially, the goals that we've, you know, we we started off by, um, you know, talking about how do you define, how do you start a project, and it's defining the constraints and the sort of vision and values. And the comprehensive plan is sort of that vision and values piece. It's sort of like what do we want, what do we want our city to be, what do we want the character to be, what what are the values that are important to us that we need to prioritize. Um, the sub area plan, I think, it, Winslow sub area plan has some of the most potential to realize those goals. Um, uh, just because of the nature of, of of the urban fabric there, compared to the, you know the the rest of the island, um, I do. I'm still learning, like I said, about the process. It does seem a little bit out of order to be doing the Winslow sub area plan first, and then the comprehensive plan. It seems like yeah. you might want to set an overall vision, and then um, 
you know, dive into the, the specifics of the sub areas. Um, I think the reason they're doing that is because um, of a um, state mandate, I guess, that, that you need to be, you need to go through these different processes and, and, and within a certain time window. And so I may have this wrong, but I think that's part of why, why it's being done in that order. Not that we can do it now and the comprehensive plan may prohibit it, prohibit it later. Well, it won't prohibit it later. It just, um, it, 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 in some ways it makes sense to do the thinking about, uh, you know, the, the island overall, you know, right now, um, a lot of the housing capacity on the island because of our current code exists outside of Winslow. Like that's mm-hmm. where most of the sort of new units, um, and that's ignoring even the, the, um, HB one um, excuse me. The, sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Acronyms. Uh, the House Bill 1110, the the um, middle housing uh, um, act that's going through that's going through state um, state legislature right now, um, which which would which would require um, duplexes uh, on the island. Um, even sort of ignoring that, even with where we are right now, uh, more of the housing capacity exists outside of Winslow than within it. Um, some of that has to do with code. Some of that has to do with uh, sewer capacity and things like that. But um, if we change the code about what can happen in Winslow, we could really flip that and say really where we want to build most of these houses are um, downtown where it won't put a strain on the rest of the island's transportation network. Um, you know, people can connect directly to the ferry um, or buses, uh, you know, public transportation around Kitsap. So, um, Okay. When you guys all come together and – in an agreement and come up with a plan, how do you present it to the city of Bainbridge Island city council and the city manager? So we don't come up with a plan. There's a um, sub consultant team uh, led by um, God, I need consulting work because there's a lot of it around here. There, yeah, there sure is. Um, well, you know, cities, um, cities need help with that. You know, the city staff, you know, they, they know a lot about the Island. Um, but then, you know, consultants often have ex- more experience sort of, in different communities, trying out different, um, different things. So, um, anyway, I believe it's, I believe it's LMN. I can't remember the, the architecture firm off the top of my head. That's leading it. Um, the, the sub area plan work. Um, and then they have on there, uh, you know, um, a community engagement, uh, uh, consultant on their team. So I think that's the Vita agency in there. Um, that's remember how I was saying people can get engaged in the, in the Winslow sub area plan. That's um, the work that they're doing. Uh, I'm sure they have an economist, uh, on their team, probably some civil engineers that can help, help with utilities. So that consultant team that has these sort of technical experts, uh, puts a draft plan together working with, um, the city staff, and then it gets presented to the planning commission and, uh, city council. And so we're providing kind of input along the way. And then I should also add, there's been this new, uh, steering committee that's been created that's going to have, I believe it's three members from the planning commission and three members of uh, city council that are going to help guide um, the Winslow sub area plan process. I, I think originally it was, it was going to be focused on the community engagement of the process, but I think the city council has expanded it a little bit more to guide the, the process overall. So. What's your funnest part of working on the planning commission? What's bringing you joy? Why are you volunteering? <laughs> uh, you know, I, you know, part of, part of what got me inspired um, to get sort of involved with uh, sort of what's going on with the city in general is your podcast. Actually, listening listening to all the things and 
that are going on on the island that sort of connect to the work that I do at ZGF um, and that I could, thought I could sort of provide um, my perspective on. Um, that's that's why I got involved. I think since being on it, it's been a really awesome group of people to work with. Um, mm-hmm. And it, although I know there can be um, sort of contention at times, and I'm sure we'll come across that, uh, you know, over the course of the time working together, I feel like it's been for the most part, um, really collaborative and supportive environment. And so that's, um, that's been fun. That's really good to hear. And, um, thank you for the compliment about listening to the podcast. Um, oh, yeah. I hope there's people out there listening and then <laughs> have questions and want to come on and, and talk with their viewpoints and spread information and allow me to spread disinformation <laughs> that's probably the best thing and not no fact checking on the on the podcast and then somebody comes in here and lays down some facts for me and then i get a better better idea of what's going on um what ideas from the public have you garnered that you know hey that's a really good idea that some random person from the community has has brought forward to you guys uh well there was a good comment um uh made at the at the not last night's but the um 2 weeks ago in early May when they presented the the draft housing action plan um there was a public comment made um that was trying to sort of suggest other ways of providing affordable housing other than simply building more housing um i think there is a you know there's a sentiment that um more housing well, the the theory goes right that more housing will make it more affordable, um, and I think if it's done strategically, that can be true. But I think there's also the potential, um, if it's not done well, for that to not be true. For us, to, you know, and that's sort of what we can see on that's happened the, the history of the island over the last thirty years or so is we've built more housing and it's only gotten more expensive. Um, so there, I think there is this concern about uh, are there ways to um, incentivize you know, providing more housing within uh, the structures that we have or by maybe adding on to them without, you know, build, totally developing new sites. Um, so I think that's going to be an important thing to consider in a way of balancing what I was talking about before, the sort of um, desire for conserving uh, the natural qualities of the island while also providing enough housing that the community can actually live here. So we have to absorb X amount of people as growth every 10 years. Um, how are we looking at right now on that, and what's our next mandate? I mean, do we need to make ten thousand more homes, or two thousand more homes, or how do we absorb uh, a growing population in Kitsap County? Yeah, uh, we are on track for our um, I don't know projected designated uh, growth, um, but. We're not on track in terms of building the type of housing that we've said we want to build in the comprehensive plan. So, in terms of overall growth, just simple population numbers, we're we're growing at the um, at the rate that's appropriate, that's sort of in line with um, what was set out by the county. Um, but we're not we're we're not providing as much affordable housing as as we've said we'd like to. Something that's always bothered me, besides that chair that we're going to replace <laughs> after this podcast. Um, is giving builders the option to have a lead, a green or affordable housing option. You can pick one or the other. I don't understand why you can't, I don't really understand lead, but I understand green building and, and affordable housing. 
why can't we just demand all that as opposed to giving the outs? Because I think the grow community was one that there was X amount of units identified for affordable housing in there. Right. And then they switched it to, um, you know, uh, what do you call it? Carbon neutral, uh, green building. Um, so they didn't have to put in affordable housing so they could continue to get top dollar. And, uh, I was wondering how, how can we stop that behavior by builders? Well, I think they were using a, uh, program. Um, I believe it was the HDDP, I think, which, um, I know I, I should explain what that acronym is and I, I, I can't remember. See, we, use, we start talking in acronyms too much. We'd forget what they stand for. Yeah, that's right. Housing development. Um, I can't remember, but it, it, it essentially was that, yeah, you could, you could, you could get additional density by doing some of the things that, that we want to see happen, which are included affordable housing and, and, um, green building strategies. Uh, so I think, they were using the program. I, I don't know that specific project, but my guess is that they were using the sort of different um, avenues within different pathways within that, that program. So it's kind of like the electric cars. I feel like I, before I buy an electric car, I need to be incentivized to do so. So if I'm a builder, I need to be incentivized to provide um, lesser um, money-making dwellings. You know, like – if or, I have affordable or, housing, I'm going to get only get X amount of rent as opposed to if I didn't have that affordable housing, I could double the rent. Or whatever. Right. And one of the ways to incentivize that is to allow them to build more units, right? It's easier if right. you can build more units bonus. than it, yeah, than it, it allows you to a density bonus. But I, you know, I think we also need to start to, you know, think about height, um, height bonuses, things like that. Um, what is that? Well, just to allow people to build higher if they're building affordable housing. So, oh, higher. I thought you said hype. <laughs> no height. No. Well, it, you get a little bonus for hype too, but nice. Um, yeah. So I think to answer your first question, though, why can't we? Why can't we have it all? Um, I think we can. We can try to, but probably the simple answer is is it's got to pencil out for developers in in order for them to actually build what we want here, right? I mean, if 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 we say you know it's got to be lead platinum and um you know 100% of the units need to be affordable housing for people with you know 50% uh uh mean um uh, area median income um then it's just not going to happen right because uh no one's going to unless there's you know that unless there's money coming from somewhere else right from some other well, uh, what's not happening now is affordable housing right and that's because the the code that we have now doesn't incentivize uh, developers to do it. And so I think that's, that's what needs to be fixed. And part yeah. of that is, um, can be addressed with the strategies in the housing action plan. Some of which are to provide, um, FAR bonuses for, for affordable housing. All right. Take that back to the crew next Thursday, put it up, put it on the agenda. Yeah. Um, all right. Thanks for, uh, enlightening me a little bit about the projects that you do. Um, I won't get into everybody else's projects that not necessarily on, um, but tell me a little bit about the architectural firm that you work in Seattle and what you guys do. Uh, yeah. So ZGF is, uh, an interdisciplinary firm. Um, we've got, let's see, five offices, six offices around the country and then one in, in Vancouver, um, British Columbia. Um, it's an interdisciplinary firm of architects, uh, urban design, interiors, 
Um, we do some, uh, um, you know, environmental graphics and sort of small uh, fabrication, small scale fabrication um, as well. Uh, I'm in a relatively small group within the firm, the um, planning and urban design group. So I'm an architect, but a lot of the work I do is is um, sort of urban design related. Um, in particular, I work a lot with uh High capacity transit, um, usually light rail. So I've worked a lot with um, TriMet down in Portland, um, Sound Transit up here, um, TransLink up in Vancouver. Uh, so working a lot with those those types of agencies. What happened to the Link Rail recently? It was derailed or something last week. Well, one thing I thought that I heard on the news was that there was a sinkhole. Uh, that um, below? Well, no, ab- above, like the the. Um, the rail, the actual rail. No, like the street, uh, the roadway was was sinking. Um, so I don't know exactly if that how that affects the tunnel underneath, but well, probably stability. Yeah, um, or concerns about it at least. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, how long have you been with ZGF? ZGF, right? Yep, ZGF. Uh, uh, let's see, eight years now, and so I, I started with them down in Portland, and then uh, transferred up to the Seattle office when when uh, my family moved up here to Bainbridge, um, which was really great. Um, they were really supportive of that move, and it's been great because I've been to, able to continue working on um, kind of the same projects. Actually, the, the project I was working on during the move just happened to be a Washington, Oregon project, so it's nice mm. that I could sort of um, have the connection down to you know, understanding Portland and the Portland area, but also be a Washington resident resident understanding the project from that perspective. So, and where's it located in Seattle? Uh, the office yeah. is on fourth uh, in between Marion and Madison. Oh, so you ride your bike on the ferry and all that. Yep. Ride my bike across yep. another EV bike owner. Yep. I'm an e-biker. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's nice for getting up those hills in Seattle and it's nice for getting up, uh, um, you know, on Bainbridge too, because you know we got to get down to sea level um, to get on the boat, and so yeah, we yeah. got to climb. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ben. Thanks for your time today. Um, little reminder for everybody: May twentieth at Woodward School, there's Electric Vehicle and Bike Expo. You should check that out. There's lots of people that can provide information if you have questions about electric vehicles, test drive some stuff, um, a band playing, yada yada yada. Uh, you make it out? Uh, when is that? May 20th, like Saturday. Sounds interesting. All right, I'll race you there on the bike. <laughs> Sounds fun. All right. Is that your A-bike out front that I saw? No, not today, but mine's similar. I have the, the Rad City power bike. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's heavy, though. It's really yeah. heavy. Yeah, um, mine I, is too. I see cool that. to have a local company, though, working on them. Yeah, exactly. That's what uh, sold me. I was like, go Ballard. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Ben, thanks for your time. You've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind.